Today we'll be talking about who is involved in the PCAP and multiple levels of a young person's support network and how they can work together to create an optimal PCAP experience. In previous Need to Know episodes, we've discussed broader explanations of the PCAP that are recommended before you jump into the details of this episode. So if you haven't checked those out, give this episode a pause and check out our first two Need to Know episodes. So today we'll be talking about how the PCAP exists in different spaces with different stakeholders and what can happen when the best experience is happening, right? What can happen when all stakeholders are collaboratively involved in supporting a young person's network and their pathway to career and future? So let's start with that understanding, right? Who needs to be involved in this process? What can that experience look like for young people? Well, let's talk about that then. So again, PCAP, Personalized Career and Academic Plan part of nationally what we call the ILP or Individualized Learning Plan, but every state has their own name. Kind of just give that preface so if your state is, doesn't use that name, you know, you're probably using something else, Student Success Plan or Individual Career and Academic Plan. So when, in the research that we did here at Boston University and before that at the University of Wisconsin, we studied kind of what the process that seemed to really help schools fully engage in this, in this PCAP um, process. What we found was that a professional learning community within the school that consisted of some educators, school counselor, administrator, it's always good to have an assistant principal on there, special education coordinator, if there's a career and tech ed coordinator. And when we select into the educators, we want to find those teachers that are really good at kind of being the boundary spanners. You know, they go into the lunchroom, get excited about new ideas, and then others get in, it's, it's an infectious excitement. So we want to be clear about, we want to have educators that are ready to help lead um, and really sell the concept of what we're doing. So those, so the ownership, if you will, within the school, we like, we like to have owned within that particular group, and then they're in a position to start thinking about how to, dis, how to really figure out when this is going to occur. Is it advisory? Is it in health class? Is it in um, some of the other special classes? It could be done in English language arts, social studies, math. These are all different places that in the past... Um, lessons have taken place, but there's there, it's their role to kind of help think through the how we get this done, as well as designing and thinking through what the scope and sequence of lessons are. Um, and so that's one model that we've been using nationally. We've been using it certainly here in Massachusetts as part of the MyGap um, process, working with schools on that. Um, and so when that works, when we get that full ownership, it's very exciting to see the kind of creativity and energy that goes on. So that's one of the strategies that, that we've, been, we've been thinking about. Perfect. And Chong, would you like to share with us a little bit about what the community partner collaboration might look like? Yeah. So when we learned that we received the uh, NSF ITES grant, um, that was a time when the, you know, the COVID pandemic was just starting off and then everything was transitioning from um, you know, the in-person to remote setting. And it was really important for us to understand, um, you know, the impact of COVID and on the community. And then the difficulties that um, the community members, family members, the kids that they were having, um, they were struggling with. And then we really tried to reflect the challenges they were experiencing uh, in the, the beginning of design and lessons, as well as the implementation. So that, you know, that there are the challenges that get in the way of learning experience experience of the youth. So, um, you know, in this kind of community uh, partnership, we found that it was really important to understand the needs of the community first, and then, you know, the collaborating with them to implement the lessons as well as, um, you know, um, you know, creating sustainability within the uh, community. 
Yeah, I think when looking at community partnerships, finding those organizations that are deeply embedded and connected um, is really one of the key pieces. Uh, were you going to chime in there? Yeah, I was just going to say, so when we, when we talk about our, you, you mentioned the NSF grant that we received. It was the specific partner was Sociedad Latina. And, and our original plan was we were going to come into classroom settings, you know, here at the, um, with them. And they're working in, in different schools in Boston public schools. And, um, and then COVID shut that down. So we had to figure out how we could redesign. And it was collaborating with them on the redesign. They had the creativity. They had a sense of kind of how we can connect more effectively with, with Latinx use. And, and that was, it was fantastic and phenomenal. And so definitely um, some major pieces in terms of that collaboration. The thing that really changed it, though, and I'm hoping, um, Aaron, you can go on this, is that you know, one of the ways in which we've thought about helping build capacity within schools or organizations to implement these personalized current academic plans is really to start with a design team. But what, what Sociedad Latina helped us do was design actual lessons. And then it became apparent that with everyone exhausted, right? I mean, we had educators that were going through their own trauma while trying to work with youth. They didn't have time to think about design. They needed to do something, right? And, and because of our collaboration with Sociedad Latina, we were prepared with a number of lessons that we could introduce um, into the schools. And now I think we're, we're coming along with that. And so, Aaron, you've been really the, the key point for that, um, for that development as we go forward. Yeah, I think one of the one of the things to come out of COVID is because we needed both virtual lessons and in-person lessons once folks start to transition is a is a variety of ways that folks can use the materials that we've begun to create. And so what we have are sets of lessons um, created with the intention to be modified, um, but created with public school teachers in mind, created with community partners in mind, thinking about what do they need to be successful. So this guide that we have contains lesson plans, contains PowerPoints, contains near pod activities, different things that are ready to be used and ready to be modified. I mean, I think that was one of the big takeaways for COVID is thinking about how can we make this really accessible, really usable by different folks who need it for different spaces. Um, and those links will obviously be provided uh, in, in our notes for this episode as well. So you all can access those and take a look. So now we've got a bunch of people listening because we know we've got a lot of people out there. And right now they're saying, how much is this going to cost? Nothing. Wait, no, what? Uh, You're nothing. putting the nonprofit so, back in Boston University. Yes, exactly. So, you know, all of our le- uh, all of our lessons and content are, are open source and free access. And we really believe that, you know, the more folks start to use them and make modifications, the more we can ultimately learn from each other. And that's one of the reasons it's so important to plug into our different social media channels or to plug into the different spaces that exist in your community or in your schools to have these types of conversations. Because as you make the changes to the lessons, we can learn and say, oh, this was a great addition to this lesson, or oh, this was a great activity. We didn't think about that because we know there is wealth and knowledge in a lot of different spaces, and and this is one of the ways that we can access it. So I think what, just to kind of summarize, and maybe we can probably close on this one as we go, but just to summarize, certainly one of the avenues for development is to bring that team together from a school or, and and hopefully maybe have a parent on on your team, maybe some community organizations on the team, um, which is fantastic as a way of thinking through what the scope and sequence of lessons uh, might be for your particular context, which is fantastic. The alternative now, which we're excited and we're just launching and being a help with, is just providing some professional development directly to those who are going to be implementing lessons so they can see how to use it. What we have found is that once people see the lessons, it's pretty much a no-brainer. We've tried um, 
Aaron has helped and, and Chong's work and with Sociedad Latina really helped to build lessons that you can see the relevance, you can see the ease with it. Um, but with the administrative guide that, that Aaron has really worked hard with our Boston Public School Committee to build, um, it feels like it's just, it's turnkey. It's ready to go. It does not take a lot of planning time. So we're selling something for no cost, um, as you hear, but, uh, but we really think it's exciting and um, look forward to not only using them, but then coming back, making them better and then coming back and showcasing so we can bring those up and, and make those available for everyone as well. Perfect way to end it off, Scott. Thank oh, you so much for the, the summary. And thank you for joining us, everyone, to learn more about the who behind the PCAP. I want to say thanks for joining us to learn more about the PCAP as a process and a product. Be sure to check out our other NTK episodes for quick content related to future readiness and individualized learning, or look for our deep dive episodes where we'll be bringing on some special guests to discuss specific topics. Make sure you're following the BU Center for Future Readiness on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Like the video if you enjoyed it, or comment what else you'd like us to discuss or any special guests you think we should be having on. We definitely want to hear from our listeners. Thanks for tuning in.